1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Off the first weekend of the NFL season, we are back with the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am merely the somewhat lucid, somewhat rested host, TJ Reeves. He is the owner, the operator, the purveyor of SportsMediaWatch.com. John Lewis, aka Paulson, back for another edition of the show. I asked somewhat sarcastically, did you get enough football viewing in over the last 96 hours plus? How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Uh, you know, watched uh, Red Zone and uh, on Sunday and I watched the game yesterday. Um, I didn't watch much of the Manning broadcasts. you know. It's just not for me, you know. I I think the Mannings are interesting, you know, very uh, personable, Peyton is tremendously talented, but I'm pretty old school, you know. I I couldn't find myself able to follow the game when, (laughs) you know, you're having to pay attention to the show, you know, Uh, and uh, so for me... And again, that's no disrespect to the Mannings. I think, you know, I said before that it was uh, a bad decision that ESPN was making. And I still believe that because I think it does a tremendous disservice to Levy, Greasy, and Riddick. Levy, Greasy, and Riddick, I should say. You know, Greasy on the conference call last week was very conciliatory. He said, oh, I don't think this is competition at all. But realistically, they're human beings. There's no way they – I mean –
1: It absolutely is. Agreed.
0: A slap in the face, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it is to have this job and then ESPN's going all in on the promotion. They have the little Manning commercials. They're so focused on it. Meanwhile, you have the main three who are doing the harder job, right? You know, it's harder work what they're doing. Uh, And, uh, you know, I mean, again, what can you say, right? ESPN isn't here to care about anybody's feelings. They're here to do what they got to do. But you know, it's just, and, and again, like I said, I'm, I'm a traditionalist, uh, I, I'm old school. I don't particularly enjoy the sporting events where half the screen is taken up by the faces of the people talking over it. I don't even really enjoy the Riff Tracks live movies where they show the riffers is talking sometimes in a split screen with the movie. Just show me the game right
1: <laughs> i don't need I love to that see although you are a big fan of mystery science theater 3000 from 30 years ago i am as well that was allowable and acceptable to show the robots and what well, was it dave i can't remember his name no no
0: no what, uh, what was, was his name it was originally joel right joel that's right okay. and then uh, after joel left uh mike nelson who was the head writer came in and it was mike hmm.
1: It was Mike. I I rely on you to fill in the gaps on this. And by the way, uh, we say all the time it's like a pro wrestling thing or a boxing thing that sometimes there's a fight before the fight. John is blasting off takes before I even promote how you can find the podcast and why we are here. I -hmm. love that about you. It's all good. Uh, By the way, let me just say, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get them. Uh, We love that. Find us through the website, sportsmediawatch.com as well. And he is at Paulson underscore SMW on Twitter and is tweeting about the podcast. I am as well. So all of that is good. We are getting some traction. There are some people that are actually listening, which is good. We're getting some response, which is good. We love all of that. And so we're going to go over the broadcast weekend a little bit for football uh, by means of outline here. I want to talk a little baseball, a little bit with John, and then some love it or leave it, which we'll also touch on football and baseball before we're done. Uh, Either John might love whatever it is we're talking about or might want to leave it, so that's what we're going to do. So back to everything starting last Thursday night with the Cowboys coming into Tampa Bay where I am based and taking on the defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers – Uh, I was there at field level as part of the Buccaneer radio broadcast. Quite the scene, quite the circus. A lot of Cowboy fans were able to get their hands on tickets. That's always the case. Uh, It got the NFL season kicked off. So, John, I don't know if you just want to touch on that or obviously doubleheader Sunday in the NFL that had huge marquee matchups, including uh, Jim Nance, Tony Romo on the Kansas City-Cleveland game. Uh, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman on the Green Bay Aaron Rodgers soap opera in Jacksonville against the New Orleans Saints with Jameis Winston now with his new team. Sunday night football was back at it with Rams and Bears. And then the Monday night game you're referencing was Raiders and, uh, and Ravens. What, if anything, stood out from any of that, going back to last Thursday coming all the way through the weekend, what would you say?
0: Well, I would say uh, Fox really lost out in the new scheduling format. Right, so uh, we talked about this last week, I think, or maybe I talked about it in a post I wrote on the site that you know you have the double, double header. Both CBS and Fox had the double header. In week one, pretty much every year, but one going back to maybe 2000, Fox has had the double header in week one. That's been a big springboard for them to start the season. Usually the week one double header is one of the strongest of the season and the ratings kind of go down from there until maybe mid season. Uh, So, you know, week one is a big showcase for them, but this year they had to share the doubleheader with CBS and because their game was 38 to three and CBS had a pretty good game down to the wire, CBS wins that head to head. And Fox with just an 8.3 rating in that national window, it's got to be their lowest week one late window ever. I mean, it might be. Uh, You know, and uh, again, that's not an indication of the NFL's lack of popularity or anything. The fact is, combined, that window was much stronger than last year, combined for an 18.3 rating across CBS and Fox. But Fox really took a tremendous hit. Last year, they had a 13 rating in that
1: window. And last year's game obviously involved my Buccaneers playing the Saints. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Fox had another game, even in competition with that. I think CBS had a game or two, but the only Fox game was the Saints hosting the Buccaneers with no fans in the Superdome. It began the bizarre COVID stuff. And we should point out, too, the audience was automatically going to be fragmented by the fact that they're not just close game or not, that the New York market had the Giants on Fox um playing against the Denver Broncos uh on CBS actually Uh, yeah no actually that one was on Fox for the Giants and the Broncos CBS also had the New England Patriots oh by the way and the opener with Mac Jones at quarterback against the Miami Dolphins that is the game over the air in our market in Florida that we got we didn't get Kansas City and Cleveland so you were fragmenting the Northeast and some other markets from not even having either Kansas City Cleveland or New Orleans, Green Bay, just to themselves and big markets, John, too.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it it was a lot of cannibalization, right? Uh, One of the things that I find interesting is that the NFL decided to go with um, the dual doubleheader option in week one, rather than just give both Fox and CBS nine doubleheaders each. And you have maybe Fox has the season opening doubleheader and CBS has the week 18 doubleheader, right? Instead, they each get 10 double headers but you know in week one and week 18 it's this cannibalized thing where neither network is going to do as well as they would ordinarily do. Even CBS you know they had a 10 rating 19.5 million viewers. they'd typically do a lot better than that for, for that window. So uh, you know I think the NFL benefited because more people were watching in that window overall but CBS and Fox I don't think either of them got the kind of numbers that they would typically want to get out of that. So Fox definitely was a loser over the weekend. Their early game was also very weak.
1: Well, the Thursday night game obviously did massively well. It was up 20% from uh, the Thursday night games of the last couple of years. It was the highest rated Thursday night opening game in five years for them. We don't have the official Sunday night number, but the Rams win was a decisive one over the Bears. Again, in a standalone game, LA market, Chicago market, you would think that one did pretty well. And then for the Raiders and the Ravens, John and I, full disclosure, are taping this podcast the morning after the Monday night a game. I have to believe the audience really built for that one. Standalone game built in the drama in the fourth quarter and the overtime. The game was not only on ESPN. It was also on ABC over the air simulcast along with the Manning broadcast. I would think educated speculation that that one did very well. The NFL has to be pleased as a whole with the audience coming back strongly. Right, John, one more time.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, now, I will say, keep in mind um, that the Sunday night number we do have 9.6, 17.64, really not that good. Uh, obviously, excellent by any of the stand up at the NFLs. Right. Uh, I'm not surprised the numbers were kind of weak. It was a boring game. I mean, to be completely honest, the Rams are, kind of, I mean, I know Matthew Stafford, they've got Matthew Stafford, but the Rams really have not been a team that people, you know, that. That peaks a lot of interest. Uh, the Bears can be hit or miss sometimes as well. So, uh, you know, that was, you know, the NFL, for whatever reason, thinks people care about these stadiums nationally. I mean, no one's going to sit down and say, oh, wow, SoFi Stadium is open. Nobody cares, you know? Uh, so, that, you know, they did that last year too, featuring the Rams on Sunday night, and they did it again this year because now there's fans. Mm, you know, I think NBC probably would have wanted a better matchup there. But Uh, You know, 9.6 isn't horrible, but it's not a good week one number, that is for sure. And if I really dig into the research, it may very well be one of the lowest week one Sunday night numbers that we've seen. So um, I do agree with you that the Monday night game should end up being a huge hit between, you know, ESPN televised it on 35 different channels, which is always a good way to, to boost the numbers. And, you know, it was a very good game, very entertaining um, and uh, very crazy finish over time. Uh, and, you know, look, we've seen it, it uh, three times last season. When ABC not cast Monday Night Football, the numbers are way better. The numbers are back kind of where they used to be maybe six, seven years ago when ESPN was averaging a nine rating for Monday Night Games. You add ABC to the mix, you can get back to that level. And the fact is, getting rid of that doubleheader, the doubleheader was such a bad, you know, it sounded the Monday
1: big, night doubleheader. Exactly. Game.
0: Yeah, the Monday night doubleheader where you have a game that's on too early and a game that's on too late. Uh, I think ESPN is glad to get rid of that. So, uh, you know, having a game that's on just right, 8, 15 p.m. and having it on broadcast TV. Frankly, that's the way Monday night football should be every week, 8 o'clock on broadcast TV. But, you know, ESPN pays a lot of money to get it on cable.
1: No doubt about all of that as we rock along here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. One more aspect of that. Again, I had the privilege not only of being at the Buccaneer-Cowboy game, full capacity, uh, Raymond James Stadium, but then I, I was part of the Iowa-Iowa State game uh, doing national radio for Compass Media Network. Steve Berline, the former Notre Dame quarterback, the former Dallas Cowboy, uh, L.A. Raider, and Carolina Panther he and I did the game in Ames, Iowa, which is about 40 minutes north. I learned my geography, John, about 40 minutes north of Des Moines is where the tiny college town of Ames is, where Iowa State is. They were at full capacity. It was some scene with all the tailgate. I would like to confess on the podcast, I was not on college game day on ESPN outside the stadium chanting, take a shower at Ashton Kutcher. That was not me, the, uh, the actor who was there as the celebrity prognosticator. That was some scene and it was a scene around college football for the second straight weekend and around the NFL to be back at full capacity. John, what if any thoughts do you have on the atmosphere adding to the game, the loud crowd adding to the game, either at the game or on TV?
0: Oh, well, we even started the U S open, you know, uh, and uh, Medvedev uh, kind of ended up double faulting a few times uh, because of the crowds uh, cheering for, for Novak Djokovic. It's good to have bands back, obviously. Uh, you know, it's, Obviously, right? It goes without saying, you know. Uh, All this stuff over the past year was terrible. The Olympics was terrible. Uh, You know, you look back—the bubble in the NBA last year. There were a lot of really great games. You know, we're we're only like a year out. The Clippers hadn't even choked a year ago today. They they still had one more day before they (laughs) choked out of the playoffs. Um, You know, the reality is that no matter how good the games are, if there's no one there, it's, it's not the same you know, and there were all time great finishes in the NBA playoffs in the bubble last year, the Luka Doncic game winning shot, the game winner by OG Ananobi, the game winner by Anthony Davis. And those you know, those moments still live on in NBA history, but like, it's not the same. You got to have the fans. Uh, and uh, ultimately that's the soundtrack of sports. Uh, and it's like, you uh, trying to watch a Superman movie with the Superman theme not being there, you know, Uh, or the Star Wars movies without the Star Wars theme. You have to have your soundtrack. And, uh, you know, uh, ultimately it's good to have fans back. uh, And uh, hopefully we won't have to be hearing anything uh, about not having to have fans back again for a long time. I think the only place right now where fans aren't allowed is at Hawaii football and no one really cares about Hawaii football. So it's no big deal.
1: They are trying, yes, to uh, to section it off. And who knows where we're headed with limiting capacity or not. I'm not making a political commentary. I'm just pointing this out. It will be fascinating over the next week or two with everything back at full capacity. Are there outbreaks or not? Because clearly these are the facts. Most of the stadiums across the NFL and across college football did not require vaccination, did not require a negative COVID test. So if there are not huge outbreaks in a lot of these different cities, no one is rooting for that. I'm just pointing out if there's not, then that's a really good sign that you're not going to have to limit capacity if they're not super spreader events like some like to theorize. The facts will be the facts on whether it is or it's not. We'll keep an eye on that. And it was just interesting. I mean, I was around Iowa again and their tailgate. There were not masks anywhere. There was no vaccination requirement, no COVID t- negative COVID test requirement to get into the game. And they were jammed in by by the tens of thousands into Jack Trice Stadium and left unhappily, largely, mostly at Iowa State, uh, there for Iowa. I don't know if you had anything else to add on that. It is your, your podcast, your site, your show. But I'm, I'm just fascinated over the next week or two that we all stay safe. And clearly the last couple of weeks, uh, tons of fans went to games. Let's see what happens.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, the fact of the matter is in the places where there would be outbreaks because they aren't, you know, doing certain things, they're not going to put in restrictions, right? And in the places where there won't be outbreaks because they do all the cautious stuff, there shouldn't be restrictions, right? So, you know, it is what it is. Um, We'll see what happens. You know, uh, ideally, uh, we won't have to touch this topic with a 10 foot pole uh, coming up soon. Hopefully, you know, at least sometime in the next five years, you'd think we could finally be five, about
1: two. I mean, Hopefully, I'm being conservative. I understand. Very conservative. All right, understood on that. Uh, you pointed something out. Let's let's move over to baseball. It, it was a, uh, a moving weekend across the country, but especially in the Northeast, in New York and Washington, D.C., with the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And the New York Yankees and the New York Mets played a baseball series this weekend with both of them on the fringe of playoff contention battling for the wild card. Um, So we could say something about the 9-11 aspect of that, which moving tributes, obviously, Saturday was the 20th anniversary. The length of the games, my goodness, and this is nothing new, John. The Yankees and the Red Sox have been incapable of playing in under three hours for 20 years or more, and a lot of it has to do with take the pitch, take the pitch, take the pitch, nobody's swinging the bat. We're trying to get to your bullpen. We're trying to waste the pitcher's arm. For, for starting pitchers, take, 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 and the games take forever. Um, you even pointed out that Saturday night on Fox, on the over the Year network, they were trying to get to the USC-Stanford game. The Yankee-Met nine-inning game, not an extra inning game, took nearly four hours to play. John, follow up on this because it's going to become a bigger deal in the baseball postseason, too. On how long the game seemingly takes to play beyond the two and a half, three hour, even to three and a half or four hour mark for a nine-inning game?
0: Well, you know, I mean, obviously it one, it speaks to the strength of baseball that they were able to average uh, 2.4 million viewers over four hours. Not a lot of things can do that, right? But you know, if you want to grow the game, you know, obviously, let's be real. You gotta you gotta have a way to have it finished earlier than that. You can't have a game starting before eight o'clock and ending shortly before midnight. Uh, you know, no one's going to stick around for the whole thing, uh, for a few people are, uh, or at least fewer people than you would otherwise get if it was shorter. Let's put it that way. Uh, and if you're trying to attract young people, I mean, you know, young people enjoy baseball, I'm sure of it. I, I There's tons of baseball fans that I see who are young and uh, but are they watching a full nine inning game over four hours? They're probably not. They might be watching the highlights on Twitter. You know, they might be watching what John Boy does, you know, the following day, right? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that they're going to sit down and watch the whole game on Fox. And, you know, look, all these leagues seem to figure out a way to get the games to be faster. You know, the NBA, which is under three hours, they need to get their game probably to two hours, 15 minutes, you know, uh, one, it helps you out with flexibility for broadcast windows. You know that—that's another part of it. Um, you know, uh, and beyond that, it's just good business to try to get people out of the telecast. You know, in a reasonable time. Baseball, we know that baseball can take under two hours. We've seen it. Now, those are rare occasions, right? Right. Very rare, but it's—it's it's possible. I think. You know, Manfred's instincts are offensive to a lot of baseball fans. Uh, He is someone people don't seem to trust. I don't even necessarily think people really even respect him. Uh, He comes out with decisions that are probably on the right track, but because people don't like him and don't seem to respect him, and just basing down the players, you know, and some of the fans – And that whole hunk of metal thing didn't really uh, go over too well either. You know, uh, I think people are automatically predisposed to disliking his suggestions. The runner on second and extra innings. I mean, man, that just sounds like a complete bastardization of the game, right? Uh, It is. Yes. And but there's got to be a way you can't have 18 innings. You can't even have it in the World Series. Everyone remembers that 18 inning game. How many people stayed up for the whole game? I actually did. I watched the whole thing, but, you know, I'm certainly not the typical viewer, right? So, you know, they got to figure out a way uh, to, one of the things I think they could do. And I mean, this would be a complete bastardization of baseball, but like they got to do something about foul balls. They got to do something about that to where like, I don't know, maybe you get a maximum of, I don't know, a a certain limit on foul balls before
1: they just count as strikes. Oh, the purists are going to be after you now on that. He's well, still I mean, going on it.
0: Well, yeah, look, I mean, you got to figure out a way to shorten these at bats to, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe how uh, it I is heard.
1: interesting to your point that a bunt attempt for a, a third strike is if it's fouled, you're out. That mm-hmm. is in the rules, been in the rules for 100 plus years, but you can foul off as many as you want swinging at it with two strikes, kind of to your point. Uh, On that, they have tried to streamline with time in between at bats, time in commercial breaks, limiting the mound visits you can have in a game. Uh, Some teams, again, are better at this and and quicker at playing games than others, as I made reference to. For example, my father and I went about a week and a half ago, John, now to a Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Tampa Bay still leading the American League with the best record in the league playing the lowly Minnesota Twins. There was some excitement, there was some scoring, but it was played at a brisk pace. The game finished five to three and the game took two and a half hours. It can be done. I have been at other games involving the Yankees or the Red Sox. In one case, there was a Yankee game that was a one-nothing game, a one-nothing game that took three hours to play because of take, 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 relief pitcher, mound visit, Uh, It just dragged on. So there are some things they definitely have to do. I'm just giving those as personal uh, reference points and Manfred back to him, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, he didn't endear himself to anybody when they held the season back last summer and only wanted to play a 60 game schedule. And we had no baseball, even in empty stadiums, nothing May, June, they didn't start till July. That angered a lot of people that haven't forgotten. I don't believe a year later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of that was unnecessary. Uh, that was a, a ridiculous uh, set of circumstances last year, prelude to the uh, management labor conflict we're going to see probably next year. And, you know, look, baseball, I mean, baseball has never been particularly run well, right. Uh, it's amazing that they've had no major or no stoppages at all for Uh, you know, lockouts or strikes in as many years as we've gone since 1994. Uh, You know, I don't know. I I think, uh, again, they have to find a way to shorten the game. Uh, And uh, I mean, you know, for a real bastardization of the game, maybe they should consider seven innings going forward, you know, as uh, maybe in the regular season anyway, you know, Uh, in tennis, you know, the men, they play best of three, in the non-major tournaments and then in the majors they play best of five maybe you know maybe you have seven inning games in the regular season and nine innings in the world and in, in, in the playoffs or maybe you just go seven innings overall right i mean again that would be you know a lot of people would not be very pleased by that but you would think that even the yankees and red sox you get a game done in three hours if it was only seven innings so
1: That's the voice of John Lewis. Send the hate his way at Paulson underscore SMW for Sports Media Watch, Watch sportsmediawatch.com. I still love you, even though the baseball purists may not love you after those comments. But uh, the postseason is coming up, and actually it is going to lead into what we're doing next here on the podcast. Here it begins... Love it or leave it. So topic number one of love it or leave it. Let's stick right with baseball. They went about 10 years ago to two wildcard teams for the manufactured drama TV driving this as well of wanting a winner take all wildcard playoff game before the divisional round series begin. I don't know your opinion on this. Love it or leave it. The manufactured drama of the wildcard win and you're still in, lose and you go home that we're going to see here in a couple of weeks, both in the National League and the American League, one game scenario to keep your season alive, love it or leave it. John Lewis.
0: Uh, I will profess complete neutrality. Uh, I I will say that ultimately, I understand the perspective of those who say a season shouldn't come down to one game. Uh, And certainly when you look at the team's that uh, we have right now where, you know, so many of them are so good and but they're not good enough to win their division because they're in a very tough division. Um, you know, it's tough to suggest that, okay, you know, one game because you can win your division. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much I agree with that. But, you know, a solo game is also a very exciting thing and uh, the ratings bear that out, I think especially if you end up with the Yankees Red Sox and uh, Padres Dodgers in those two games, those are going to be blockbuster numbers. I mean, really, really, really strong, uh, you know, and and for baseball, I mean, that's always a good thing. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, uh, from a TV standpoint, it makes perfect sense and it's a good decision from a, you know, from a game standpoint, uh, obviously it, it's, it leaves a lot to be desired a 92 win dodgers team should not be facing a single elimination game to just to get into the playoffs now granted in the old days they wouldn't have made the playoffs period because they wouldn't have been a wild card uh, but you know there was a long time where a team like the dodgers up 16 games in the wild card would be in the best of five right there was about maybe a 20-year period right they used a wild card but before they went to the one-game playoff Maybe they should have the one-game playoff triggered like the NBA did in the bubble last year, where the play-in was triggered by a certain gap. And if a team was within three games, then you'd play that uh play play play-in game. Uh, That's that's the way they should do it across the board in the NBA with the play-in tournament and with baseball, where you know, if you're as good as the Dodgers are, you shouldn't have to worry about single elimination playoffs. I mean, that's ridiculous.
1: You make a good point on that, and I'm I'm somebody that's a purist uh, in every sense of the world, but I also understand TV and the expansion of playoffs that began with a third division being added, a central division being added instead of just east and west, a wild card team being added. The second wild card team I'm not as big on because I'm with you. If you if you finish seven or eight games behind, you shouldn't be rewarded with a one game, uh, winner take all type game, but. I like the way you're trying to address it. They're not going to listen to us. They're going to keep doing what they're doing, and we'll be fortunate that they don't expand it to a third wildcard team or a fourth uh, before it is over with. Uh, with that. N- another subject here a- as we continue along. Love it or leave it. This one goes off the beaten path of sports for a second. I am big into some of these dramas, some of these shows that are on, whether it be Netflix or Showtime in my case, Speaking of baseball, the son of the late commissioner from the 1980s, Bart Giamatti, Paul Giamatti, and Billions, set in New York, if the audience is not familiar, where Paul Giamatti's character Chuck Rhodes is a prosecutor. He is now the Attorney General of New York as the show has gone season to season. And he goes after all of the inside traders, all of the brokerage houses, all of the investment firms that do it illegally. He's got an arch rival that he's been going after every year, trying to take him down, put him in prison. That is uh, Bobby Axelrod is the name of the character played by the great British actor. He is British, even though he's got a New York accent in, uh, in Billions. I love Billions on Showtime, and it is now back. It is now resumed. John Lewis, I have no idea. Love it or leave it. Have you ever seen this show? Do you have any interest in it? What's the verdict? Uh,
0: never seen it. Not really interested in seeing it. But I will say I had no clue that uh, Paul Giamatti was uh, Bart Giamatti's son. That's news to me. <laughs> but, I mean, that's. That, I'm genuinely very surprised by that. I wouldn't even have thought that there was a connection between the two of them. Bart D'Amati, what an interesting story. Commissioner for five months uh, throws out Pete Rose and then passes away almost immediately after. It's really a, a, a shocking kind of story when you consider it. I mean, he was just there. He had just started. And in in his first season, his only season as commissioner, he throws out Pete Rose. He passes away. That's the same year
1: that we have the earthquake world series as well. About three About three weeks later.
0: Yeah, and that that was a, that, that, that's reminiscent of the NBA season last year, 2019-20, where you have all these calamities and tragedies and all these things. It's a, that's a wild story. I had no idea that Paul – I mean, I've been aware of Paul Giamatti. I had no idea he was Bart Giamatti's
1: son. I'm here for you, and he's a great actor in a bunch of different things, and you should peep billions at some point. I don't know how much you get into binge-watching shows, but it's amazing it's back. But it's uh, it's John's world. We're just visiting. He leaves it on billions. Again, um, his way. Go ahead.
0: I've only I'm I know I've seen Paul Giamatti in multiple things, but the only thing I can remember seeing him in is the Nickelodeon movie Snow Day from (laughs) 2002. And that was the movie where he ended up like I think he was uh, at one point colored completely blue, similar to the guy from Arrested Development. I don't know (laughs) what the circumstance was there, but. That's the only thing I really remember him being in. Because I is haven't amazing. seen
1: Sideways. He's amazing. He's won Emmy Awards. He's been a stage actor as well. He's done a bunch of stuff. Sideways was very good. Yes, that you just uh, referenced. But he's in a lot of different things. But he's phenomenal in uh, Billions. He's been nominated several different times as uh, Chuck Rhodes. A uh, lot of great lines. A lot of great stuff. One more topic to get to before we're done. Love it or leave it. The commercials are everywhere that the flip phone may be making a comeback, whether it be from Samsung. I don't know that it's going to be the iPhone, but any of these phone makers, we all used to have a flip phone, didn't we? Are you love it or leave it on going back to a version of the flip phone? John Lewis, um, again, I don't know how soon that this will be readily available, how expensive, but are are you a, a flip phone fan? Love it or leave it?
0: Uh, no, you know, I'll leave it. I mean, I'm sick and tired of all these changes. Just stick with something. You've decided that smartphones are the way to go. So stick with it. I'm not following these nonsensical companies down the next rabbit hole. All right. <laughs> they said it was smartphones. So I'm sticking with that. I'm not going back to flip phones.
1: I like that. You, uh, we, None of us long for the days where you had to flip the phone up and then figure out which number on the dial pad corresponds with which letter while you tried to type with your thumb or your finger, I'll be home in 30 minutes and send it on the top of the flip phone. We don't, That that's almost like the dark ages of text technology, isn't it, John?
0: I guess. I mean, you know, I, 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 I've never had a problem with the tactile, you know, uh, uh, you know, keyboard that's why i had a blackberry for a long time uh, but you know i mean again this is something so calculated you know and they keep changing everything all the time and you know that the only reason they're doing it isn't because there's demand but because they're trying to juice you know interest in something new reselling things that we used to use back to us and uh, pretending that it's somehow revolutionary exactly right? so i have no interest whatsoever
1: all right Good enough on that point. Uh, that winds it down for this edition. Uh, anything else that we did not cover? Anything else that you have out there? You did, you did work in the U.S. Open. By the way, the Ryder Cup is coming up as well uh, for golf, the United States against Europe. There's always a lot of fervor in that, a lot of, uh, a lot of back and forth between the uh, European fans, the U.S. fans, and I'm anxious to see that. Lots of lots of football and baseball postseason coming as well. Anything else, John, before we depart?
0: Uh, you know nothing off the top of my head. Uh, I know I read the NBA wants to try this midseason tournament idea. We'll see how that goes. They like to use the WNBA as a petri dish for all their you know bad ideas. And uh, you know they did this in the WNBA this year. The Commissioner's Cup. It seems to have been a complete you know failure in my view. It was a one-off game. I don't even think the players really understood what the point was. Didn't count at the standings. Seattle, which won, hasn't been any good since the game ended. They haven't been any good since the Olympic break. You know, uh, just got smoked by a terrible L.A. team the other day. I don't know. Uh, You know, uh, we'll see. You know, Adam Silver has got all sorts of ideas. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't. We'll see if, uh, I mean, they've been wanting this in season tournament for a long time. Uh, the play-in worked out well in year one, mainly because LeBron and Steph Curry were in it. Right? That's correct. Um, we'll see if a, a midseason, as long as it's better than the Commissioner's Cup, I guess that's, that's, the, that, that's all you can ask for.
1: Love that. And by the way, all the way back at the beginning of the podcast, you were talking about the Manning brothers. We didn't spend a lot of time on it. I actually found myself watching some of it. They are very good. I agree totally with your point. It is distracting a little bit from the game, although they did put them over to the side and the A-list people that they kept having on from Charles Barkley to Travis Kelsey to Ray Lewis. To them, I mean, it's priceless when you go back. They they are reacting in the overtime when it looked like the Raiders had won the game. At the same time, with Russell Wilson, they're all putting their hands up. They're all celebrating, just like fans would do uh, on the on the mega cast that the Mannings were doing. And then, of course, they had to clear everybody off the field and, resu- and resume the uh, the game. I'm sure it got some audience a little bit, not more than the game audience. I, I found myself watching it some. I think a lot of people liked it. I think one of your points is well taken just one more time. They're not going to do this for all the games. They're doing it for like the first three, right, John? Correct. And then they're going to take time off here and there. That may hurt it a little bit, but it's just interesting on the debut. There is a lot of buzz as we release the podcast uh, about it. And a lot of people seem to have liked it, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I'm sure Levy, Riddick, and
0: uh, Greasy are thrilled.
1: They were not three of them that probably liked it, no. Yeah.
0: I'm sure uh, they were really happy to see uh, all the uh, hype and accolades that that game got. I mean, maybe they were, you know, Levy's an ESPN lifer. Maybe he's totally invested in the company's success and is happy. I know I wouldn't be, <laughs> I, I would be, I mean, I would be a little chagrined a little bit like, Hey, what, what is the purpose of me even being here? You know, uh, All the attentions on these other guys that you actually wanted for this.
1: Sure, and Lee and in Levy's case, they're about to start NHL coverage back for the first time in sixteen seasons, and he will be a prominent part of that. So that's kind of a dual thing for him. But right for Brian Greasy and Louis Lewis Riddick, they are NFL. They this is the gold. Uh, the golden nugget, if you will, of being able to do sports, you know, broadcasting and NFL broadcasting is to be in that Monday night booth. Yeah. I agree on that point with what you make. Anything else, John, or are we good? Have we covered it all?
0: Uh, we probably haven't covered it all, but I think we're probably good. Right. I mean, what else could we uh, possibly talk about? Uh, basically it's football and that's it this time of year.
1: You have a lot of that to get to. A reminder again sportsmediawatch.com is where you can read more of John's work. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, you will find it. We generally are out early on in the week on Tuesdays, recapping the weekend and looking ahead uh, with all of this. John, thanks for the time as always. Appreciate it. Hey, no problem. I am merely TJ Reeves. Again, sportsmediawatch.com and the Sports Media Watch dot com podcast. Thank you for being with us. We'll talk to you soon.